views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hi, I'm Gene Chatsky, and welcome to Everyday Wealth. So here are some things that I know about you. I know that you spent your lifetime working hard. I know that you have saved diligently whenever you were able. I know that you have done your best investing money to secure your future. And then I also know that you have probably started to see retirement coming at you. Maybe it's far off in the distance. Maybe it's a little bit closer. Maybe it's even too close for comfort. And you've started to ask yourself the question, how do I make my money last? How do I take income from all of these savings, from all of these investments in a way that preserves my wealth as long as I need it? And the answer to that is strategy. The right strategy can help you manage taxes and maintain the standard of living that you have been planning for. That is our topic for today, and it is a biggie. In this show, we're going to dive into the potential sources that you have for retirement income. We're going to dig into six different strategies that can help you optimize your retirement income plan. And we're also going to get into those roadblocks that could stop you along the way. Because here's the thing, most Americans worry about outliving their retirement savings. If you're worried about outliving your retirement savings, that just makes you normal. 66% of people in or near retirement fear running out of money. That's according to a recent survey from the folks at Go Banking Rates. But what's real and what's just in your head? There are actually five big reasons to be a little fearful. So let's talk about those risks. Number one, and you know it because you are living with it every single day, is high inflation. And although some inflation is normal and a solid retirement plan takes that normal inflation into account, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, rose more in 2022 than it has at any time in the past four decades, making everything more expensive. It has started to taper, which is really good news. But if costs rise more than you expected when you built your plan, then you may have to adjust your strategy. Number two, market volatility. Investors know there are always ups and downs in the market, but it is 
never good to see a lot of volatility or a large downswing when you are in or approaching retirement. Volatility may make you reconsider whether you've saved enough. It also makes it difficult to plan out your income strategy. Third on the list, healthcare. One of the biggest expenses during retirement is healthcare. In 2022, the average total lifetime healthcare costs for a single 65-year-old individual over the course of retirement is $315,000. You're a couple, you can double that. But if you only plan for the average, what happens if you need more? Your plan needs to have a cushion. It needs to have the flexibility to adjust as your situation changes. Four, longevity. A 65-year-old man has a life expectancy of an additional 19 years. It's an additional 22 years for a 65-year-old woman. But what that means is that many of those 65-year-olds are going to hit those numbers and just keep on going. And if you're married, marriage, by the way, very good for longevity, there is a 45% chance that one of you will live to 90 and a 20% chance that you or your spouse will live to 95. What that means, you could have a whole second half life after you stop working. And it is really important to plan for that. And finally, number five, fifth on the list, taxes. Do not assume that your taxes will go down in retirement. Just because you expect to have a lower income, that does not mean that your tax rates will be lower. Yes, Many retirement accounts provide tax advantages, but it doesn't mean they're tax-free. Distributions from 401ks and 403bs and IRAs are taxed as ordinary income, even though the growth comes from investments. Moreover, up to 85% of your Social Security benefits are taxable. Bottom line, not being tax-efficient in your withdrawal strategy can cost you. So let me ask. After hearing about these risks, how are you feeling about your chances of achieving that goal of a comfortable retirement? I know, I know it's daunting, but here is the thing. With careful planning right now, with maybe asking for some help right now, you can achieve those retirement goals. And to tell us how, I want to welcome Isabel Barrow back to the show. Isabel, of course, is a planner with Edelman Financial Engines. She is going to share with all of us how to start thinking about these things, how to really wrap our brains around them. Isabel, so nice to see you. You too, Jane. I'm happy to be here. So you help people achieve retirement. I know many of your clients are already in retirement. I'm just curious, how are they funding those retirements? Where are they getting their continuing retirement income from? Well, typically, your retirement income is going to come from a variety of different sources. So some of those sources may be fixed sources, so fixed income, and those are income streams that provide a predictable amount of money every single month or every single year. You know, so with Social Security is a, is a really common, maybe the most common example of that, and the benefit from Social Security, the benefit that you'll receive is based on either your work history or the work history of your spouse. 
Pensions are another example of a fixed income source. If you have a pension from work or an annuity, you know, people that still have pensions, that's typically a government or a county or a school or, you know, um, so there's not a whole heck of a lot of pensions anymore these days, but they still exist for many. An annuity, that's another example of a fixed income source. Um, Certain types of annuities will provide a fixed income stream. Employer pensions and annuities. So those are two other examples of of a fixed income stream. I actually have a pension. I Do have, you? I, I'm in the Actors Union. Oh, Can you the Actors it? Guild. Look okay, at, look I at see. me. <laughs> All right, is it good? <laughs> you know what? It's really great health insurance. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that mm-hmm. me- that's meaningful. It is. It's very meaningful. Of course, and and I don't. I don't mean to brag with my SAG after membership, although I do like voting for the movies every year, yeah. but the cornerstone of modern retirement, those are really our 401ks and our, our 403bs and our IRAs and our brokerage accounts and our other savings. Can you talk about how they fit into the puzzle? I mean, I know those accounts are what people are really counting on to fund the lion's share of retirement these days. And, and, by the way, me too, my actor's pension is very, very small. <laughs> right. Well, and so I think we have, okay, on one hand, we have these fixed income sources. That's for Social Security or those of us who have pensions. And then we have, on the other side, variable income sources. And those are sources of retirement income that is not fixed. So unlike, you know, uh, you know you're getting $2,000 a month, for example, from Social Security, a variable income stream would be something that would be coming from an investment strategy. Now, so obviously, it's not a fixed amount. You don't know exactly how much you're getting on a predetermined basis, but it helps to add flexibility to your withdrawal strategy and can be optimized for your situation. But of course, again, the downside to a variable source like your 401k, your IRA, other investments, is that you can't guarantee ahead of time how much you're going to be able to draw at a time. So, That's why you need to, ahead of time, really carefully plan how you're going to utilize that money, you know, how that is going to kind of fit into the puzzle of how much income you need so that you don't know how much you need to save toward that goal. And, you know, later we'll talk about some withdrawal strategies. So how do you actually now turn that variable account into an income stream? And the third leg of the stool these days, at least it seems to me, is working. There are a lot of people who are retired but still working part-time, some because they want to, some because they have to. Right. It does seem to be a growing trend that, you know, we see more, I'm seeing more interest in that area from clients that are retiring that are thinking about, um, you know, how do I leave? Do I leave? And you know, go part-time? Do I leave and go back on as a consultant? So there, people are thinking more about maybe phasing in to a full retirement and maybe not pulling the plug all, you know, all at once. So whether or not you need to do that is something obviously that you need to know ahead of time, right? Before you decide to retire. So when working with clients, you know, for example, let's suppose we run the numbers on your retirement budget, And we say, you know, okay, you've got enough income to cover a lot of your needs, but you're short maybe $20,000, $30,000 a year of where you need to be. That may be an example of, okay, well, I may still be able to now retire 
and then go back to work in some capacity just to to generate that extra twenty or thirty thousand dollars in in a lower stress job that'll allow you, by the way, potentially to put off claiming social security or to leave the money growing in your 401k or your 403b. There are a lot of different advantages. What are you seeing people do most often in these encore careers or these part-time jobs? Well, I think the key is that people typically want to do something a little bit different than what they were doing before, or if not different. So if it's in the same industry or in the same field, it's less time, they have more flexibility to travel, you know, or that it's just lower stress. So some of the things, some of the really popular areas for those retirement jobs are becoming a delivery driver, for example. You know, maybe you're going to drive for Amazon or Uber. Online teaching. I've seen a lot of clients go do some online teaching in some area that they have a skill. You know, if you are, you know, French speaker or French tutor, maybe you're teaching online or a cooking class or I have a client who uh, does yoga classes online, teaches yoga classes online. Becoming a realtor. Mm -hmm. That's another popular one for retirees. Something called retail arbitrage. What is that? <laughs> which is buying something, buying goods or products at a lower price and then reselling it at a higher price. That could be clothes. It could be furniture that you're refinishing. You know, maybe you're putting together old cars and reselling them. So lots of different ways you can do that. It's upcycling. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So something that's been somewhat more popular these days. Another one, and I know that this, if it's, if you're not thinking about this, then at some point in your life, you will consider it is becoming a mobile notary. And the reason why I say that is try to go get a notary somewhere right now. It is pretty tough. And during the pandemic, it was like virtually impossible. I would say to someone, you need to have your documents notarized. And like three months later, they would come back after finally getting an appointment with a notary. Because you couldn't go into your bank. Right. Typically, right? you go I to mean, a bank. Typically, you go to your bank and they notarize it for you if you're a customer, mm-hmm. but you couldn't go into it. So, so interesting. Yep. One of the things that many of these jobs have in common is that they're social right? There's this study going on at Harvard. It's a, a longitudinal study by Robert Waldinger. It's It's been going on for the past 85 years. And researchers embarked on this study to figure out what makes people happy in life. And over time, they have asked about retirement. And the thing that people feel like they lose most in retirement is this element of social connections that we, at least prior to uh, going remote and the pandemic, we all got that at work. And and one doctor actually said when he was asked what he missed the most, he said he, he didn't miss the work at all. He missed the people and the friendships. And loneliness is a big deal. When I wrote my book, Age Proof, with Dr. Mike Royzen, he told me that loneliness is akin to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It's that detrimental to your health. Yeah. And I think that it's actually surprising for a lot of retirees when they leave the workforce, how much of a role that played in their socialization. You know, it was going out to lunch or even just like chatting by the water cooler. You know, you don't have that anymore when you're not going into an office every single day. And maybe some people have gotten more used to that because of more work from home. But I think, you know, for a lot of the clients that I'm working with, that really rings true. And so, 
you know, if you do need the extra money, I think having a little part-time job or, or a side hustle is a great way to get you there and can also give you that socialization or that, you know, that just companionship or just, again, being around people. Um, but no matter what your financial situation is, it's doing something with mm-hmm. your time in retirement that is so important, What you know, t- to maintain that sense of purpose, to maintain sort of a, you know, whether or not it's a hobby. I mean, I really think a lot of times I talk to people about what are your hobbies? What do you want to do when you're retired? You know, what is going to fill your days um, and add meaning to your life and also maybe give you, if you're someone who needs it, that social and friendship component as well. I was speaking to a woman this week that I am interviewing for my AARP column, and she is at this point where she wants to quit her day job that she is uh, really just tired of. But she wants to work, and she wants to work for social reasons. And I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I really want to go work at a ballpark. I love baseball. And I want to go work in a ballpark. I'll sell programs. I'll work the concession stands. I'll show people to their seats. I don't care. I just want to be around baseball. And I thought, fantastic. Similarly, I had a client who likes concerts. Mm -hmm. And so she started working at a concert venue. You know, I think she's like a ticket taker or something. I don't even know exactly what she does, but it's a little bit of income, but she gets to see every concert. Right. For me, I would go work at a theater on Broadway. Although I think I would have to like have some sort of gig where I could work in different theaters to see different right, shows, shows, right? Get a little sick Unless of seeing, it's Guys and right? Dolls, I don't think I want to see it 300 times, right. just saying. <laughs> anyway, let's take a quick break. I want you to all reflect on what Isabel just said. Please take it to heart. When we come back, we'll share six different strategies for retirement income with help from another special guest. Stay tuned. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. We are talking with financial planner Isabel Barrow about retirement, how to pay for it, how to make the most of it. And we're going to share six strategies that have to do with your retirement income in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the fun in retirement. What do people like to do most in retirement? According to the latest data from Statista's Consumer Insights, number one on the list, cooking and baking. This would be mine, I think. Although I think eating actually <laughs> needs to go along with that right, category. Right, but I mean, it goes hand in hand because if you cook it, then you get to eat it. Or you eat it before you cook it, as, <laughs> I, as I often do. Second on the list, reading. That's high on your list, I know. I'm more of an audiobook girl. Oh, interesting. Okay. But you have to be in the car then, right? No, I listen while I'm running. I listen while while I'm walking. I sometimes just listen while I'm cooking or baking. So there you go. We put them together. Spending time with pets. We love that. Gardening, not on my list. (laughs) 
Oh my God, I'm the worst. Traveling. I, I would have thought that would have ranked higher, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, outdoor activities and DIY and arts and crafts. Anything that's missing here for you? No, I mean, I think that's, you know, well, spending time with family, spending yes. time with grandkids. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm such a cliche then because I really, like, I would do all of these things. Maybe, you're right, maybe not the gardening. I'm, you know, maybe. But I, I am really looking forward to traveling. I also love to cook. And pets. I mean, I just want to have, like, 100 dogs. So <laughs> Not at one time. No, I mean, if you had a farm, right, you could yeah. have all the dogs. And so. And horses for you, I yeah, know. Yeah, I would like to have another horse. That would be really cool. Yeah. Well, we got an email from Kevin about how to turn savings into income to fund all of his time gardening and traveling and pet sitting and watching. If you all have a question for a financial advisor, just go to everydaywealth.com, scroll down, look for the blue box that says, ask a question, type in your info, send it my way. That's what Kevin did. And here is his question. He writes, between my wife and I, we have about $2 million in investable assets. How do we turn that into a reliable income stream in retirement? It's a, a great question, Kevin, a common question. And to help answer it, I've got one of the other really smart folks from Edelman Financial Engines here in the studio with me. Her name is Jessica DeBold. She's a director, advanced planning strategy and tools. She's a certified financial planner and an enrolled agent. Jessica, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Jean, Isabel, thank you for having me. Good to see you both. Good to see you too. Thanks for coming in. Let's turn to Kevin's question and let's talk through these six strategies that we've been promising for turning savings into income. Isabel, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. So the first step is to think about your long-term goals and set up all of your retirement investments really to target that long-term goal. So, you know, the stock market can be volatile and it can be very risky in the short term. And so that means that taking withdrawals off of that retirement account as an income stream can be more challenging just during periods of time of high fluctuations in the market. Yeah, I'll add it's essential to diversify. Even in retirement, your portfolio needs the opportunity for growth. It should align with your risk tolerance and be designed based on those retirement goals, which is why you need to maintain that diversified portfolio all through your investment journey from your accumulating years into your retirement years. Jessica, I know you are an expert in taxes. Can you give us a little bit of perspective on how we manage our retirement income with taxes in mind? Certainly. Your portfolio really should be constructed in a way that has tax-smart strategies in mind. For instance, income from bonds or bond funds is taxed as ordinary income and may be best held in a tax-deferred account like an IRA or your 401k. Stocks, on the other hand, get a more favorable tax treatment, right? You have dividends from those stocks or stock funds and those get capital gain tax treatment that would be taxed at the 15 or 20% tax rate, which is definitely something to consider when looking at those taxable accounts. 
But it's again, it's important that you have that properly diversified portfolio, whichever type of account you have. So you're essentially talking about two types of diversification, diversification of assets, but also diversification of accounts. Absolutely. Both within the account and the type of accounts that you hold. And once you've done this, once you've done these two things, right, you've thought about my investment strategy, you've thought about where asset location, you know, where are you going to have different assets? Another important step is then to make sure that things stay how they're supposed to be, which is called strategically rebalancing. You know, our investments change over time, right? Mm -hmm. Something goes up, something else goes down. The original allocation that you've structured that changes. And so over time, those changes can be more dramatic if you don't regularly rebalance. And and if you don't rebalance, something that's happening is you could be negatively impacting your potential return and creating more risk than you need to bear, right? Or that you can bear. So rebalancing is really a way to just ensure that you're keeping your risk in check and that you're keeping all of your investments the way that they are supposed to be and they were originally designed and set up to be. Sometimes I think people are inclined to rebalance when the markets go up, not so inclined to rebalance when the markets go down. Both are equally important. So what's the best way to make sure that you do this? Do you do it on a schedule? Do you do it when an index has moved a particular percentage? How do you make sure you don't miss it? Well, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. I think probably the most common for individuals that are trying to manage this on their own, let's say if you don't have an advisor or you don't have some type of automatic rebalancing feature set up on your account or available to you, is to just do it on a set schedule, right? So set it up for at least once a year, ideally more often. You know, if you can do it every quarter, great. I kind of recommend a clients, look, if you're not somebody who you can really trust yourself to be on a set schedule to do it every quarter, then at tax time, that'll be the way that you remember up time to rebalance. That way you go in at least once a year and do it. But I mean, in an ideal world, you're strategically rebalancing on an as-needed basis, meaning when you've drifted far enough away from your target, um, that could be a couple percentage points. It could be five percentage points. It really depends on the composition within your portfolio. But that's ideal is to do it when is needed. But don't do it because you're market timing, right? Don't do it because you say, oh, you know, something's down. I want to wait for it to come back before I rebalance. That's just not how it works. You've got to rebalance regardless of what's happening in the market or with your investments, you know, either on an as-needed basis or on a regular schedule. Okay, you checked three off our list. What's number four, Jessica? Optimizing social security. Mm. It is absolutely critical to develop a claiming strategy based on your specific circumstances. You know, individuals can claim as early as 62, but you won't get the full benefit until you hit your full retirement age, you know, which is for anyone somewhere between 66 and 67, depending on their birth year. You know, that's staggering by months at this point. But for every year you wait to take Social Security, Beyond your full retirement age up to age 70, your benefit increases by 8% a year. And that's guaranteed, that increase. So in some cases, that's why we might recommend that you wait to claim to age 70 so that you get that larger guaranteed benefit. That should all be part of a carefully crafted strategy similar to what Isabel and our other planners do for their clients. And spousal benefits are another big one. Yes. So 
And interestingly, I don't know that a lot of people really know that this exists um, or understand exactly how it works. But you need to understand if it's advantageous for you to actually look at your spouse's benefits and perhaps claim benefits on their social security or thinking about, you know, depending on your age, you may you may want to defer your own for now, claim spousal benefits, et cetera. There's a lot of different strategies that you may want to talk to your financial planner about as it relates to the benefits that you are entitled to through your spouse. And it doesn't even have to be your current spouse. It might be your deceased spouse, or you may be divorced and it, you may be eligible for benefits on um, their social security record as well. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of wrinkles, of ways to claim social security. And you guys, I mean, I don't think people know this, but you guys have the software. There is software that financial advisors have that can type in your scenario and tell you and your spouse based on age, based on the difference between your ages, based on whether you've got a higher earning spouse and a lower earning spouse, or if you have earned about the same amount through your lifetime, based on how many social security credits people have, you guys can take that and actually come out with a correct answer, which is astonishing. Right. Well, But let me caveat that because, of course, while we can have the correct answer, right, and we can say, statistically speaking, this is the right answer, it's always dependent on so many factors. And the most important one is your longevity, right? right? So we're basing this on an assumption of how long you're going to live. Um, but yes, we have that kind of special, that secret sauce of, of, okay, well, statistically speaking, here's your best option. Yeah. Let's talk about withdrawal strategies when we talk about pulling money out of our retirement plans and our other accounts. So there are four popular strategies that I think many people might have heard of. There's the 4% rule. There's the fixed dollar withdrawal strategy. There is the bucket approach. And there's the systematic withdrawal approach. Let's just walk through them to give folks the lay of the land, Jessica. Sure. The 4% rule is probably the most well-known. We hear about it in blog posts. We've read about it in articles. Essentially, it proposes that you take 4% of your account balance Every year. So whether that means you take the 1231 value of your account, 4% of that divided by 12, and that's your monthly income for the year. You essentially recalculate your account balance and your distributions based on the market conditions and determine whether your income is going to stay the same or whether you get a raise or maybe some situations warrant that you need to reduce your spending. Some retirees choose to withdraw a higher or lower percentage depending on their initial balance. So instead of taking 4%, they may start at 35 or they might start at 5 And I think that also depends on retirement age. You know, we keep talking about the longevity in retirement, and that's where it's important to work with someone and really think about that retirement lifespan and what that looks like, maybe looking at longevity of family members and things like that, and being able to take a general rule of thumb and adjust it to apply to your certain circumstances. Right, because if you retire at 50, a 4% withdrawal rate might not be reasonable. But if you retire at 70, a 4% withdrawal rate might be reasonable. But you need to kind of understand, you know, all of those factors, longevity and your age and all of that comes into play, whether or not, you know, that 4% rule is going to be 
safe-ish. The fixed dollar approach, Isabel, sounds kind of self-explanatory. Right. I mean, it's similar in that you decide on a certain amount that you're going to take annually and you just continue taking that amount, right? So if you have a million dollars, for example, and you decide, okay, well, based on that, I want to take $40,000 a year. Instead of taking a percentage of the value of the account annually, you're just taking $40,000 a year for the first however many years. And then maybe you adjust it based on receiving Social Security or you reassess based on how your investments have done in the future or, you know, if your income needs have changed. One thing I think that is really important to point out about both of these strategies is that neither one is really customized to your changing needs. They don't really think about the potential tax advantages of withdrawing from different retirement accounts, taxable versus non-taxable, in specific order. Yeah, one customizable approach is kind of this bucket strategy. You know, with this strategy, you withdraw assets from three separate buckets or accounts, however you want to call it. The first account or bucket is really for those short-term needs, and it holds really three to five years worth of living expenses, but this is in cash or cash equivalents. You're taking that market movement out of that bucket of assets. The second bucket is really the midterm needs, and it usually holds fixed income securities like a bond or a bond fund. Then you have that third bucket that invests your remaining retirement savings in equities for those long-term needs. And you use the cash in the first bucket and you kind of replenish it from that second and third bucket as needed. I was thinking that if you were retiring into 2022, which was a disaster on many financial counts, you know, a strategy like this where you'd already gone to cash would have been really beneficial. And if you think about market cycles and, you know, holding that three to five years out and you think about the time span of different market cycles, that's why it's designed is to kind of be able to weather those storms and then replenish on those times when you have you know higher market performance, you can replenish from that third bucket or those longer term positions. So what's the difference between that, Isabel, and systematic withdrawals? Well, so at Edelman Financial Engines, we are typically going to recommend using a systematic withdrawal strategy that's based on your specific situation. So the difference is, and and let me just kind of, I guess, back up. When we talk about bucket strategies or we talk about withdrawal strategies, a 4% or a fixed dollar amount, I mean, these are all strategies that can work together. You know, you can say, all right, well, I'm going to start with a 4%, a fixed dollar amount, and I'm going to keep it for a couple of years, but I'm also going to have a bucket here for my short term and for my cash. So you can fully customize your withdrawal strategy, your income strategy, based on your changing and evolving needs using all of these things. So none of them has to act exclusively or, you know, exclusive of of each other. But we recommend systematic withdrawals, which means, you know, you're taking into account what are my required minimum distribution amounts going to be? What is my tax bracket going to look like every year? What are my other income sources? What are my expenses. So we're, we're setting up a systematic withdrawal to replace income, but that systematic withdrawal, which may be a percentage, it may be a fixed dollar amount, it's changeable, right? So we can start it, we can stop it, we can amend it, we can make changes to it as often as we need. But ultimately, you'd work with your financial planner to determine, you know, can we continue at this amount? Can we take a little bit more? Do we need to change course and go to our cash bucket for this short period of time because it's 2022 and it's not a great time to take 
take out of my investment bucket over here. But we want to think about all of this in a very tax-efficient way as well. So making sure that all of this is conducted in a way that you're maximizing tax efficiency. I'm thinking about inflation, right? And how if you're somebody who's in retirement right now and you're just going to the grocery store and you're buying the same list of things that you bought two years ago on a weekly basis, you may look at what you're spending and actually think, yeah, I need to be flexible. I need more money for these things. Either I'm going to go and start buying store brands or I'm going to have to have a conversation with somebody about, can I pull more money? Can I be more flexible? And you'll want to do that knowing that you're not increasing your chances of running out of money in retirement. It's scary. It's tricky because, I mean, in in this example that we're using of 2022, now inflation has driven your expenses up, so you need more money, and your investments at the same time are potentially, or very probably, if you were invested in 2022, down in value. So now it's thinking about, do I have enough in my pot to continue if the, you know, now my withdrawal rate is, is higher than we had originally anticipated. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into this. And in order to help us understand how that maybe needs to impact our clients? So do they need to change course? Do they need to change their income streams? Or, you know, do they need to adjust their expenses, for example? You know, we've got software. We've got Monte Carlo simulations. We've got back of the napkin math. I mean, we've got it all to help you understand, right? Do we need to change course? Or can we continue this? Like, is it a danger to you over the long term? Or are we just really looking at a short-term situation? As we go back to our list of six strategies We've got to talk about taxes and required minimum distributions. And Jessica, that's your turf. Absolutely. Required minimum distributions are an inherent part of retirement plans. 403Bs, 401Ks, IRAs. These distributions may make up a good portion of your retirement income, but there's not a lot of flexibility once RMDs start in how you take those distributions. And complicating factors, the rules just changed. They did. The passage of the SECURE Act 2.0 at the end of 2022 raised the age when you have to start taking those required minimum distributions from 72 to 73-year-olds beginning in 2023. And be careful. The penalty for failing to take those is 25%. Now, that was reduced. It used to be 50%, but still, that's a substantial amount, and that has to be withdrawn, and you still have to pay the regular tax on that distribution as well. So you got to take this money out. If the formulas are telling you that you have to take this money out, you have to take this money out, is there anything that you can do to, I don't know, ease the pain? Planning. There are absolutely strategies that can be explored throughout retirement, you know, to ease that bite or to reduce that distribution in the future. You know, this is my favorite tax planning time for someone who's early in retirement. <laughs> you laugh. Everybody says it's your favorite tax planning time, but it truly is. That time early in retirement, before RMD starts, you know, maybe it's before Social Security starts, we have a lot of flexibility in that source of where that income comes from. And so with that flexibility, we can look at things like tax brackets. We can look at Medicare premiums, all of those things. And we can essentially choose whether or not to create taxable income during that time. And if we can go through and distribute income at a more tax-efficient time during those early years, 
It helps reduce that bite of RMD later. Any distributions we can take in the time leading up to that reduce that distribution factor later on. And so that's what gives us the flexibility. And and there are strategies like Roth conversions as well, right? Or making charitable donations directly from your IRA. I, I like that one. Can we dig into Roth conversions a bit? I, I know it's a hot topic. I know some people love them. I know some people are not such fans. What are your thoughts? A Roth conversion is where you essentially take a distribution from that traditional IRA or 401k and convert it or transfer it essentially to your Roth IRA. This can be advantageous depending on your tax strategy. And that's, Gene, you know, to get into your comment about some people love it and some people hate it. It really is something that should be personalized. When you go in and look at tax brackets, when we talk about where taxes are going to go in the future or whether tax rates are truly going to go down for someone, that's where that Roth IRA strategy really, really comes into play. Roth IRA withdrawals are tax-free, but you have to pay that tax up front. So you pay the taxable income when you convert the money and then it grows tax-free from there. So generally, we only recommend doing this in low-income years. But again, this is something that's so personalized because what constitutes a low-income year? We have to think about things like Social Security in the future. We have to think about things like RMD when that's coming and really be able to kind of tailor that solution to each individual. All right, you guys have been amazing taking me through five of our six strategies. Let's talk about the last one, Isabel. So the last one is um, employer-sponsored pensions, right? So if you have access to an employer-sponsored pension, count yourself lucky. I know Jean has one through the Actors Guild, but there's not a lot of pensions out there anymore. And what makes pensions great for retirees is that, for the most part, your employer's paid into it, and that benefit that you receive is predefined. You know ahead of time what that is going to look like. You know whether or not it has a COLA. You understand how it's going to impact your taxes. So you've basically got that paycheck continuing forever. And then you just have to decide, do you want to actually take it as a paycheck? check or do you want to take it as a lump sum? Right. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they'll say, you know, if you don't want to take the monthly amount, you can get just a lump sum up front that you can then take and invest and create your own income stream from. So essentially, if you're taking payments, it's like an annuity that pays you over your lifetime. But if you take the lump sum, now you've put it into a variable account where you can invest it and in, let's say, an IRA, for example, and you can take money out as you choose. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility flexibility, maybe more inflation protection, depending on the type of pension you have. But you really need to have a financial planner look at that and run the math for you because I have seen it both ways where like there's no question that the lump sum is better or there's no question that the, you know, taking the annuitized income is better. So, you know, it's not always as clear cut as that, but you definitely want to run that math before you make the decision. I think family situations play a lot into that as well, whether someone's single or married, whether they have beneficiaries or not can definitely impact that decision as well. Absolutely. And do you take then, you know, if your pension offers it, do you take a spousal benefit? You know, Mm -hmm. do you take a reduction in the pension to leave something behind for a spouse? Or do you instead save that money and buy life insurance, for example? There's a lot of different strategies for thinking about how to deal with the lump sum versus the pension and, and all of that. But a good financial professional can help you figure out which one of those is best for you in your situation. Boy, oh boy, this was a lot today, but thank you both so much. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Isabel, for this amazing tutorial. I actually took a lot in, and I hope that the folks listening did as well. 
Good. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. As you've all learned in this show, planning to secure retirement income, getting to that point where you feel confident that you won't outlive your money, it is important, but it's also really, really complicated. Pick up the phone and call Edelman Financial Engines and talk with a planner if you need some help figuring this out. And if you're looking for something different, For your retirement, have you considered retiring on a cruise ship? Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Do not sign me up. I do not want a 24-hour, 365-day-a-year buffet. I'm with you. (laughs) A travel brand actually recently introduced a three-year world cruise. Covers 135 countries, all seven continents. It starts at $30,000 per person per year. It's billed as all-inclusive, covering meals, beverages. I want to know if they're alcoholic or not. Onboard activities and Wi-Fi. Wait a second. That sounds cheaper than like rent in a lot of places. Is that for real? I want to see the size of the rooms. Oh we're gonna, my God. We are You're gonna in a shoebox. Yeah, we're going to have to We're gonna have to do some homework. Bunk beds. <laughs> no, I am not bunking with anybody. Thank, maybe my husband. That's it for today's show, everybody. Be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or visit everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk soon been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.